following presentation is an Almarva Studios production. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. From across this flat plain, welcome to another edition of the Flat Earth Files. I hope everyone is doing well. Hope everyone had a great weekend. We have a great guest standing by who will be joining us in just a moment. Dave from Alaska, before we kick things off, just a reminder, please do stop by our website, uh, theflatearthfiles.com. We have upgraded our SpeakPipe message system. We, we get several messages every week. Uh, so you now have the ability to leave a message up to five minutes long. So go to the website, leave us a message, drop in the chat room and say hello. I am starting to also leave show notes. I get emails all the time with pictures and uh, screenshots. I'm now dropping them on the website. So when you listen to uh, an episode, go to the forum, you'll see show notes from this date, and you'll see all the things that we talked about during that episode. So go check it out. It is theflatearthfiles.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or you would like to join us uh, like Dave is tonight, please drop us an email at theflatearthfiles at gmail.com. Again, that is theflatearthfiles at gmail.com. So there you go. That's all the housekeeping for today. Let's bring on our guest from the other side of the country, uh, from the great state of Alaska, uh, is Dave. And Dave, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Not a problem. Thank you, George. Um, go ahead, before we get started and get uh, into our conversation, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Well, my name's Dave. Uh, like George, I did a career in the Army. I did 22 years. I retired March of 2020. And I'm sure everybody remembers what happened in March of 2020. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I couldn't have got out at a better time. Uh, we retired, came back up to Alaska where we were stationed before, and now we just uh, kind of do our thing. We've got chickens, a garden, uh, just trying to provide for ourselves and live a subsistence lifestyle the best we can. That's so good to hear, and there are so many other people um, starting to do that as well. You know, the government likes to tell us there's a food shortage, when in reality it's it's a grocery store shortage, it's a supply chain shortage. There's plenty of food everywhere, it's just that people choose. And listen, there's some people, you know, I'm not, you know, for many years we didn't really grow much, and we're just at the point where we can do so as well. But at the end of the day, it's not a food shortage, it's, it's certainly just a supply chain issue, it's a grocery store issue. People can grow their food. And I'm so happy to hear that you, you're you doing that as well. Um, but you, I guess you have a little more challenge. Uh, what do you do for the wintertime with your chickens up there in Alaska? Do you have like a heated um, coop for them? Um, so there's a, a guy up in Fairbanks that makes insulated coops. Um, so this will be our first, our first winter with them. Um, so we're going to be experimenting some different things. I've got some friends that they just 
leave them in the coop all winter and from the their chicken poop and the the uh, straw and hemp bedding and whatever insulates it well enough and they they winter over just fine that's great how many chickens do you have uh we wanted eight so we got 10 and i I guess we just did it too good. We still have <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's great. So, you know, in however many months, once they get going, you'll you'll definitely get six or seven eggs every day, and it's quite a blessing. And uh, it's so exciting when you get that first egg too. It's like, yes, I did it. Um, uh, before we yeah. get started into the flat Earth, I do have to ask you because I retired in 2015. So by the time 2020 kicked off, many of my friends had already retired or left the army as well. And you did leave literally like two weeks before this whole thing kicked off. So I'm sure you still had friends that were in. What was it like for them navigating through this and the forced vaccinations? Um, do you have any stories like that to share? Um, most of what I heard was it just. I mean, it just got nuts because I, I finished out my career in uh, recruiting command and they had people still trying to put people in the army remotely. And it, I mean, recruiting command is, is its own animal, um, but it just, just got crazy. Like I heard that they weren't even doing PT tests for like two years. So they weren't flagging people for failed APFTs and people just stand at home. It was, I, I can imagine it was a very, very weird time to be in the military. Yeah. I couldn't imagine my, you know, all the years I was in, it was, you know, six thirty PT nine o'clock first call. And it was hands on all day, especially back when I was, um, you know, a 51 Bravo when I was doing, um, an engineer and for the army to, to go like that, like much of the world did, it was very interesting. I, I have always said I really had a special place in my heart for the guys who were like, I mean, I had a special place in my heart for all of them. But, you know, many of the people who were 15 plus years closing in on retirement and had to make a decision between the vaccine and uh, the, the pension check, which for those who don't know, in the military, it starts right after you retire. You don't wait till you're 62 or 65. It kicks right in. And... um I really feel bad for the people who, that had to make that decision. Yeah, my my son was telling me uh, at Fort Benning, uh, he's an officer, but there was a guy that he was going to his armor bullet class with who is just now getting ready to leave after a year and a half because he refused the vaccine. And so he's just been sitting there in holdover status. Still got promoted to first lieutenant, but just not going anywhere because he's like, no, I'm not going to take the vaccine. Wow. But, it, but he's now he's going to Riley, right? Yeah. I'm not sure that I think this other guy is going to Riley too, I think. Oh, okay. Well, that that's good to hear. There's, you know, I, I wouldn't judge anybody. That's a tough dis decision to make. You put that much time and effort in that close to your pension. You have a family. It, it's a shame that this government put people in that decision. Um, let, let's talk about Flat Earth. You were born and raised Christian, and you say you've remained in the church your entire life. Uh, talk to us about your journey uh, to Flat Earth. Yeah, so it all it all kind of happened simultaneously or really close in proximity to uh, uh, changing, I guess, church bodies, you could say. That, that happened first. 
Um, we were stationed in Florida at the time, and we were trying to find a. I was raised Assemblies of God. Um, the hand raising, speaking in tongues, jumping up and down, fire and brimstone kind of stuff. And so we were trying to find a church in Florida, and I we kept trying different ones, but I'm like, nothing seems right. I'm like, these these people are just kind of crazy. And at the same time, we couldn't find a school, a public school for our kids. So we sent them to a, a private Christian school, a Lutheran school. Um, I hate that I have to do this, but I do have to explain the delineation between Lutherans. You have the far left-wing woke Lutherans that ordain gay clergy and trans, and then you have what are called confessional Lutherans, which are the conservative, we believe what the Bible says, Lutherans. And so that's the kind we are. Um, so we sent the kids to, to school there and since we couldn't find a church, we were like, well, let's try going here. But I was like, I don't know what these Lutherans believe if I'm going to go here. And so that ended up with many, many long nights in my Bible, reading the Lutheran's confession of faith and then looking and being like, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says. But that's not what I was told it said. So long story short, I had to reconcile if I was going to believe my Bible for what it said or if I was going to believe it says what somebody's telling me it says, but it clearly doesn't say that. Um, so ended up becoming a Lutheran. And then a short while later, um, I was, I, I say I literally tripped and fell into flat earth. I hadn't really been down any other conspiracy roads before, but I remember it was a, a hollow earth video about Admiral Byrd. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. I'll watch it. I watched it, and then, like, the next video that came up was a Flat Earth video, and I think it was one of Rob Skiba's, and it kind of appealed to me because he was using the Bible, and I'm like, okay, I'll watch this, and then it just turned into video after video, looking at my Bible, and I'm like, holy crap, that's literally what it says. Yep, and it's it's funny. There's so many things we can correlate in our life, whether it be COVID or or the heliocentrism, where basically we, we go back after all of that and waking up, we look at our Bible and it's right there in the first chapter of Genesis. And we're like, man, how did we miss this? And why do we continue to allow uh, man to deceive us? Yeah, because I mean, it all, and the, the way I ask people about it is, um, and, I, and I think I picked it up from Rob Skiba, it was, do you believe what your Bible says? Do you believe the Bible is literal, except where it tells you it's metaphorical? And the Bible usually tells us where it's metaphorical. It'll say, X is as this, or something is like this. And it's clearly telling us, okay, this is a metaphor to get us to understand this thing. But the Bible, like Genesis doesn't say it was like, it said God did. That's interesting. A I'm sorry. Go ahead. Said that last one. I stepped on you. Oh, it says it says God placed a firmament. That's right. A hundred percent. Hung the sun. He hung the moon. Yeah, there's nothing allegorical or metaphorical about it. That's right. You had mentioned that you fell into flat Earth in 2017. 
and you still had three years left in the military. Uh, I know how (laughs) the mind frame I was in for about two weeks after discovering Flat Earth. How was that experience for you? Oh, man, there was um, we had a we had a pool at our house. And I can't tell you how many nights I was pacing around the pool, thinking about it, um, talking to my sister and my parents about it. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was a good couple of weeks of just like, wow, like I, I can't believe this. Like, but I, I have to, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, a Bible believing Christian, I kind of have to. I agree a hundred percent. And I believe in your email, you had mentioned that your sister uh, is mostly awake and, um, where is she uh, from from one to a hundred? Hundred being a flat earther, zero to be a glober. Where's she at now? Um, I would probably say she's somewhere between sixty and seventy. She's she's definitely accepted that you you can't walk away from scripture and not at a minimum think that it's geocentric. That's good. That's interesting and. You know what's really interesting to me? I, I had assumed that most people's experiences were like mine, that they were rabbit, you know, people that chased the rabbit holes and were into conspiracy theories. And then eventually, uh, tr- you know, whether it be YouTube or Rumble or BitChute, it's a matter of time before you come across one of the videos. And maybe you're out of videos to watch, so you watch one or you get an email from somebody and you say, I'll check it out. And then it's it's history from there. But I'm, I've, I've talked to so many people where Flat Earth was the first rabbit hole, and it kind of blows me away. I, I kind of wish that was my first rabbit hole because I think it would uh, help me accept a lot of the other flat, or I'm sorry, a lot of the other rabbit holes much more easier. Because I think this is the granddaddy of them all. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it definitely is. I mean, it, it, if they can, if they're able to pull it off, and get us to believe all this then i mean what what can't they do i mean if you can hide our our very cosmology and creation i I think the the sky's the limit and i wasn't i wasn't i would say i was i've always been kind of skeptical and like we were talking about before we came on um, when i was in afghanistan in 2006 and 2007 that was kind of when I'd, I'd say I started to wake up a little bit because, I mean, we ran into the, the camel herders and we're way out in the mountains and these these people are as free as they could possibly believe. And, you know, we, we're trying to get them to understand our version of freedom and we're arrogant enough to think that that's what they want. When, I mean, they're just living their life, raising their families, herding their camels, you know, nobody's bothering them except we're bothering them. But um, I kind of came away from that with a, a different perspective there. And I mean, I remember I was stationed in Germany when 9-11 happened. And I, I distinctly remember watching watching the towers fall on TV and thinking to myself, huh, that looks just like a controlled demolition. That's crazy. But the thought never crossed my mind that we did it to ourselves until years later when I guess I have time to actually think about it. 
So you kind of fell into flat earth in 2017. You had three years left to your retirement. At that point, is, did you still kind of stop there with the rabbit holes and wait till you retired to go down other ones, or did you start to look at other things? I kind of, I kind of tabled flat earth for a little bit. And I mean, it, it was always there and I was always watching it and kind of keeping to myself. I had some, some buddies. Uh, one of them was a, uh, he's a Blackhawk pilot now, but he was a crew chief. And I remember we were driving uh, up to our company headquarters for something. And, and I asked him about like, like how come planes can fly at level and they don't fly off into space right. when they're flying? Like, have you ever thought about that? And they're like, well, gravity holds them down. I'm like, but how do they, like gravity just knows to hold the plane at, 35,000 feet and just keep going around the curve. I'm like, are you a flat earther? I'm like, I'm just asking guys. I'm like, I'm just trying to figure this out. Like I was thinking about it. doesn't make sense to me. And then when you think about gyroscopes and how, if you understand how a gyroscope works, um, have you ever looked into that? Absolutely. <laughs> that, that goes right yes. against their answer. And, and then you can retort with, uh, well, then if it's gravity, why isn't the pilot constantly fighting and pulling the plane back up? Right. Yeah, how, how, does, I mean, how does gravity know to keep that plane at exactly 35,000 feet? Because I think, I think uh, somebody did the math and the plane has to be basically be in a constant state of descent if the Earth is a ball. And it's got to drop at something like a mile or two miles every minute. Precisely. And and we definitely feel that. We you feel when the plane adjusts its altitude down, even if it's just a couple thousand feet. But we don't ever feel that. Nope. And like if a plane if a plane's leaving Seattle and it's flying to Orlando and it the pilot cages the gyroscope with level to the runway in Seattle. And then as they go up, the gyroscope kind of rotates back, showing them the attitude of the aircraft and they level back out. But if you're flying over the curve to Orlando, that gyroscope is going to be in a completely different position in Orlando because level is supposedly different there, but it's not. That's right. <laughs> and and then again, these are the questions. If you ask, that's the first thing you, are you a flat earther? And you just got to say, no, I'm just someone who questions everything. And um, obviously we've been lied to about so much. And this one, you know, many of the other rabbit holes, 9-11, et cetera, they have a lot of nefarious things behind them, whether it be um, the Patriot Act or uh, being able to go into other countries and take their resources. Um, but this one is a big one. This one hides God. This one supports evolution. It, it supports the Big Bang Theory. Uh, the gatekeeper Joe Rogan tweeted this weekend that new science report came out to say that uh, they found the Earth is actually twice as old as formerly believed, almost 3 billion years old. And uh, again, this goes back to, um, you know, if the people need a hero, we will provide them with one, right? Yeah. it's And it's like my... I was talking to my mom about it when, I mean, I haven't brought it up with them for a while, but after I first learned about it, 
my mom's like, well, what does it matter? And I'm like, well, I'm like, if, if I can get everybody to believe that they're on a little ball rotating a thousand miles an hour, rotating around the sun at was 66,600 miles an hour, which is spinning around inside our galaxy at Lord knows how much hurling through an ever expanding space, then, you know, your existence is pretty minuscule. I mean, like they tell us, like, we're just here by chance. It doesn't, your existence doesn't matter. But if we're on a flat plane with a firmament that God created for us, and he's literally right there, imagine what that understanding would do for people's mental health, um, for everything. I mean, mental health and depression is just like the big one to me. You know, I mean, that, that really resonated me when you said that, because, you know, being in the profession that you and I were both in, suicide is, uh, you know, 22, 23 a day, so they say. And um, I think that would make a huge difference. And that's the, that's the answer we, or the question we get all the time. Why does it matter? I still have to get up and go to work, do this, do that. Um, but it changes everything. It, it changes your perspective. Um, it, you realize that my thing is, you know, that this, everything is given to us from God, not by man, not by the United States government, uh, not by the state of Delaware, not by the state of Alaska. This is all given to us by God. Absolutely. And, and he's literally, literally right there. Like you can look out your window, look up. Cause that's the other thing. It's like, we, whenever anybody refers to heaven, we refer to up. I mean, that, that that direction only works on a flat plane because I'm pointing up from where I'm at. That's a different up from where you're at. That's right. Does that mean the the, the Christians in Australia are actually looking into into hell when they look when they look up? They're looking down, <laughs> right? Or, or or then you have to then add what other stuff to scripture that's not there and start talking about inter. You know, heaven is another dimension, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. It says it's right up there. It doesn't say it's another dimension. Uh, two things. I, I, I know I mentioned one on a podcast to, uh, this past Monday as we're recording now. Um, but the first one I wanted to mention is, and it's funny, not funny, haha, but you had mentioned that you're Lutheran. And just how important the Reformation was to Protestants but now in retrospect that I'm a flat earther, I do realize how important he was to um, geocentric or bib biblical cosmology. Let's say, leave it like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, after you after you had brought it up, it was a few weeks ago, I went and, and looked it up because um, understanding the, because prior to becoming a Lutheran, I never paid much attention to uh, Martin Luther, other than, okay, he, you know, he's the guy that kicked off the Reformation that ultimately separated us from the papacy, the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but there were, there were reformers before him who were trying to do what he did, but it never took off because um, it didn't happen in the setting that Martin Luther was able to do it in because he was a, a university professor. He was a doctor of theology in a university. 
the the Reformation movement took off as an academic uh, in an academic setting. So he was literally in a university teaching aspiring priests the things that he was teaching and talking to him about. So it was really hard for the Pope to crush it. And because of that, much of much of what he talked about, even even his conversations at dinner time were recorded, which is where the the conversation about Copernicus happened. It was around a dinner table, I believe, and somebody had presented it and like, oh, have you heard about, you know, this new new model that Copernicus is pushing and and Luther said some of the effect of it was a you know that's that's coming straight from Satan. He's going to stick with what the Bible says. Yeah, that is uh, spot on. And I think that was between 1530 and 1532. I think one of the other reason that uh, Martin Luther was able to succeed was because of the printing press came about and he was able to, you know, between the 95 theses and it was a lot mm-hmm. easier to spread his word versus trying to get everybody to gather in the town center or in the tavern or in the church. Uh, he was able to spread the word that way. And I do think it helped, even though I think at that time there were still a lot of people who couldn't read. Uh, but I think that had a, a big part of his success. Yeah, it did. And, uh, uh, what, what was I going to say? I said something else about it. Um, oh, it was interesting. Like when you really get to know the story, he he initially wasn't trying to break off. Like it's kind of funny because he he truly didn't believe the Pope knew the atrocities that were going on, and so he was summoned to to go meet with a a cardinal and. He thought he was going to meet with the cardinal to relay to the Pope what was going on, but instead they took him there and wanted him to recant, and he wouldn't do it. And then that's when he ended up having the the papal bull, which was basically a a hit from the Pope put out on him, and then um, everything else that we know from history happened. But it was just funny that he, he didn't think the Pope knew what was going on. He thought the Pope was going to thank him for bringing these things to his attention. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out. <laughs> and uh, that lends to the question I asked you today. What kind of influence do you think the Pope and the Vatican has on the world affairs today? Oh, it's. I think it's far more than we we think or would probably like to know. I mean, it's just, what, why are all the observatories, almost all of them, owned by the Vatican? And why are they named Lucifer? <laughs> Yeah. Like what what interest does the Vatican have in astronomy? Like that's not the church's job. No. No, not whatsoever. Um are you are you currently involved in the church? Yeah, yeah, I am. Have have you had the op- I don't remember we've had a lot of conversations but have you have you had the opportunity to to chat with anyone in your church or or, or your preacher, pastor, uh, in regards to this, uh, the biblical cosmology? Uh, I I kind of keep it select to who I bring it up to, who who I think is going to be open to hearing it. I I think my pastor knows. I mentioned it to him, and he's he's a big Star Wars fanboy. And uh, he was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what our senses tell us. They tell us that it's flat, but 
we know that's not the case. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go much further with this. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. I can I can generally uh, get a receptor on people. If I can't, I'll float something out. And like you said, uh, when, when you get an answer like that, you know, well, now's not the time. <laughs> it's He's definitely not uh, going to be receiving this well, which, again, is, is disappointing because, once again, uh, the Bible's pretty clear about how the earth is and the firmament is a big key. Uh, I will say there was another example today. You know, we talk about the King James Version versus many of the other versions that are out there. Uh, there's actually um, verses, entire verses that are missing uh, from other, like the NIV, Matthew eighteen eleven is completely missing. And uh, 1811 in the King James Version says, For the mm-hmm. Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. So uh, it, it's very interesting. And I, I've talked to my local pastor because he uses, I think, something called the ESV. And I've tried to say, and this is just my opinion. I'm, you know, I'm not preaching to anyone. It's just my firm belief that I've, uh, it, 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 like yourself, we've been in situations where we've had to have something translated. And you understand um, sometimes things are lost in translation. The person doing the translation may have, um, uh, what am I looking for here? You may, agenda. Yeah, exactly. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. My, my understanding of why, um, why those verses aren't there when I, when I researched it, it came down to, um, the number of, of original manuscripts that that they had that they were working off of that the majority of those manuscripts didn't have those verses in them for one reason or another um so when they that's so i guess when they printed like the niv they didn't put them in there um i i prefer not to use the niv i use the the esv for mine which i was looking at it today and it was interesting i was reading going back and reading genesis i think it was 1 6 where it talks about the firmament Right. And it, it uses the word expanse, but then in the study notes, it it talks about uh, what the Hebrew belief was. And it says the, the original Hebrew word was rakia, which um, which t- uh, denotes like something hard and hammered out. Yep. Um, so, I mean, it was I, I was appreciative to be able to see that it said that in there rather than just kind of glossing over it and moving on because I mean if you're really studying that's what you're going to do you're going to go and read that and like okay well, let me dig into this some more and figure out what it what it means and I like to go through and bring up on the computer the whatever translation I'm using and then whatever the original text was in and then try to figure out what that what that word's talking about yeah that's a actually a really great description whatever bible you have there that's that's right on um you know, I posted your picture uh, in the forum today on the, the flatearthfiles.com. I saw that. Yeah, six days ago you sent us, um, you, you had taken off from Seattle. You were headed to Georgia a couple of weeks ago. And it, it's such an incredible picture. I mean, the plane, the horizon is completely level with the exception of, um, what was that? That was Mount Rainier, right? Mount Rainier in the foreground and then Mount St. Helens off in the distance, which I think it was like a hundred miles away. Yeah, that's incredible. And you can certainly see Mount St. Helens and 
um, the, the, the flat horizon. I, I stared and looked at it for like 10 minutes and today. It's number one, it's just a great picture. <clears throat> I really love that part. I, I spent some time up there in Tacoma and I saw Mount Rainier when my buddy retired uh, a couple years ago out of uh, J uh, was at Lewis. I think it's called JBLM now, but uh, just yeah. a tremendous picture. And if you guys haven't gone to um, the flat go to show notes for July 17th and you'll see the picture there. It's just an incredible picture. And it really shows, number one, we can see too far because the math, or see too far, excuse me, um, the math says the horizon from your vantage point at 1,000 feet should be 37 miles away. And uh, that was well past that. Yeah, I was, I, based on how, how the ground looked, I was guessing I was about 1,000 feet. I mean, even if... Even if it's off by a little bit, you can still clearly see too far. I mean, you're looking 100 miles away and then some. And, you know, not even including the math, the horizon in that picture is, I mean, you can see forever and the horizon is is straight across. There's no curvature. Um, again, we can only see too far because of the visibility and, pardon me, the atmosphere, et cetera. But uh, like you said, that's uh, that's 100 miles, and that's just uh, – it's just to me, it's an unbelievable picture. It's great. Yeah, and we – I mean, people look at that and like, oh, wow, that's a cool picture. I, got, I think I showed somebody at work. And I'm like, yeah, isn't that crazy how, how far we can see? I'm like, I think Mount St. Helens should be behind the curve a little bit. He's like, hmm, that's cool. That's all you got, huh? That's cool. Uh, yeah, that that is a very difficult thing. We've talked about it many times, and I don't know if you've. I know you said you've talked to your sister, and I think you've mentioned it to your mom. Um, number one, how many folks have you? I guess what's your what's your ratio? How many people have you talked to? How many people have bought in? And then have you found? Uh, is it just a matter of the person being receptive or is there a certain delivery or a certain piece of evidence that helps you introduce the flat earth to, uh, to people? Um, a, a lot of it, I think is, has to be the mindset of where the person's at. Like my, my sister was already, uh, pretty conspiracy minded. Um, my, my buddy at work that is, I'm working on, he's already kind of, um doesn't trust government and he, and he's a christian so that helps too um when i was in kansas recently i was talking with a buddy of mine i haven't seen him in 10 years and i thought i would would drop it on him uh cuz he's he's a solid bible believing guy but as as we talked for probably an hour about it you you can see just how how deep the programming goes because like i was describing it to him like the plane and the dome and he's like and he literally asked me he's like so so okay if we're on a plane covered by a dome it's like what about the rest of the planets in the solar system they're all spheres <laughs> i'm like you're missing it man i'm like we're not in there is no solar system i'm like this is it I'm like, God's literally up there. I'm like the Bible tells us the stars and the wandering stars are placed inside the firmament. They're not, there's nothing, there's no solar system, no space 
beyond the firmament. It's not there. That beyond the firmament's heaven. And it was he he agreed to look into it when we're when we were done. But I mean it's it's such a multifaceted thing to to have to comprehend. I mean you can't just I mean you could just go with the Bible, but I mean NASA definitely plays a major role into it um you have to understand that everything nasa is putting out is a lie i mean that that was the moon landing was the second one so flat earth was the first one and then for me the moon landing came and that was easy to throw out um that was literally the conversation i had with my sister i'm like i'm not sure we actually went to the moon and i think the earth is flat in fact, I'm, I know we didn't go to the moon, but I'm pretty sure the earth is flat. Yeah. That's uh, it's an easy, easier one to debunk for sure. Uh, but I think some people are too quick to eschew it. Like, well, they faked the moon landing, but there's no way the earth is flat. Um, you know, once someone lies to you, you have to, you have to literally question everything. That's the only fair thing to do. And the next thing I want to mention to you is you're someone who was in the military for a long time. Um, and something that I can speak to is how compartmentalization works. And I think that's how NASA works. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like trying to, like even, and that, that, that concept actually works really good with uh, with military guys. Like I had a had a soldier that, I was talking to one time and he was uh, I think he was raised Roman Catholic and he was kind of leaning more on the atheist side and like I explained to him I'm like I'm like no I'm like look at him like you're on the battlefield you know you've got your battle space you know think of that like your little your little piece of the map like so that's what you see like then the commander has the company's battle space so he sees the company's portion of the map then the battalion commander has the battalion's battle space and brigade and so on and so forth. And so as, as it gets bigger and bigger, those entities see more of what's really going on. But down on the ground level, the individual people at whatever level they're working at, they only see what they're supposed to see. And they only know what they're supposed to know. Uh, it's a hundred percent. And, you know, We'd go to our battalion meetings when we were downrange, the S1. They're living in their little bubble all day. They'd give their little reports who's up to date on, of all you know, vaccines and <clears throat> things of that PT. The oh, S2 would yeah. give their little intel report. They'd be sitting there watching the, uh, the cameras all day, and they'd get their local intel. The S3 would talk about all the operations going on. Uh, the S4 would give, you know, the... The, the log updates and when the next resupply was coming, everyone, S6 gave the commo update, first sergeants gave, uh, right, the PT, who's yellow, who's green, who's red with weapons and everything. Everyone has their own uh, little piece of the pie. And, you know, whether depending on how... Um, what kind of leadership team you had. Sometimes you had meetings weekly. Uh, when you were downrange, you had them every day. Uh, but everybody just had their little piece of the pie to focus on. And I imagine that's exactly uh, what goes on in NASA. And very maybe 
a handful, maybe just with the number of fingers on your hand, maybe five people actually know what's going on. And I guarantee you they are either A, in a secret society, or B, they've been corrupted a la Jeffrey Epstein style. Yep. And they've been paid off tons of money and to keep quiet about it because, I mean, you know, the, you know, the individual astronauts have to know. Oh, 100 percent. Sure. Yeah. I often wonder, like, what what are they being told? Like, it didn't, I wonder if they know why they're faking it. They definitely know they're faking it, but I wonder if they know why they're faking it. Like why it has to be this way. You know, I, I've asked myself that many times, and I think to... Uh, the Illuminati and the, the the people who control the earth, they believe Lucifer is the good guy because they freed Adam and Eve. God had them in this little prism, in, prison in the garden. They, they invert everything. And I do believe that these people, um, they're helping humanity because they're told if they find out that they're in this giant snow globe with no escape, Humanity wouldn't be able to, to to handle it. You were actually helping the people on Earth. I think that's probably how they're delivering it to them. And then they probably show them a video of Gus Grissom getting burned up. And, you know, oh, by the way, this is what happened to the guy who went against us. And then they show them the story of the investigator who uh, found out about it, how they killed him and his wife and his stepdaughter uh, on the train track. So I think it's a little bit of both. But, I mean, who knows? That's just what I that, that's what I guess. Yeah, I mean, that certainly could be. I mean, eventually we'll find out. We'll find out in the end. Absolutely. We all know how the story ends for sure, and, and we will know for end. Uh, but, yeah, they have to know. That They absolutely have to know. Um, I, I've heard number everywhere from 1,000 to 8,000, the, the total number of people on Earth who uh, who actually know what's going on. And one of the things... Um, I can't remember the gentleman I had on, I don't know why his name escapes me, Bart Sabrell. And when he was interviewing a uh, astronaut, and as he was leaving, he they, they rushed him out so quickly, uh, Bart forgot to take his microphone off one of the astronauts, and his son was standing next, next to him. And uh, <laughs> it was still rolling, and the guy said, hey, do you want me to call the CIA and have them knocked off or, or something like that? <laughs> if they really went to the moon, why would anybody say anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, it's another one. Oh, have you ever have you seen the 16th century Mercator map and its depiction of the North Pole? Uh, I think we've talked, what was the name of the map again? How do you spell it? I think it's the Mercator map. Oh, Mercator map. And is this the one, I know the, one of the maps out there, uh, Antarctica looks green. Like at one time it used to be, uh, you know, walkable, but I mean, who knows, but the Mercator map that was from, uh, the mid 1600s, um, where is this the one where Antarctica looks huge? But there's oh, this not... is the one. I'm, the one I'm thinking of is of the North Pole and how it has, how it shows it green and vegetation, and then like four rivers coming out of where the North Pole would be. Oh yes, 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 yes. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it, yeah, it, I... it is neat how Africa looks almost exactly how it looks today, and then North America and South America, um, w with the exception of Mexico. Uh, looks completely different than it looks today. Uh, Antarctica looks much larger. 
And the North Pole, you're right, it's got, um, it looks like it's got four rivers, but they all kind of have veins coming off. Um, Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So my thought with that, because I like to think about things logically, and if if we're on a flat plane covered by a dome and God created this for us, it seems logical to me that he would have placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden directly in the center of his creation. That makes complete sense. And, uh, hmm. And I mean, I, what, that, that, the, that's where the Tigris and Euphrates meet, right? I wonder what the... Is that what you're alluding to? Yeah, like if... like, Just speculating that... Because I, I clearly have no evidence for it other than just following a logical path. But when we, when we build things or when we create something, then we, <laughs> we generally start from the middle and work out. And... It seems logical to me that God would have placed the Garden of Eden right smack dab in the middle of his creation. That's right. That is interesting. And uh, it is a very, you know, people, when they think of uh, Iraq and Baghdad, they think, um, you know, desert, desolate, tumbleweeds. Um, But exactly where the Tigris uh, and Euphrates meet, it is lush. Uh, There's palm trees. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it empties out into the Persian Gulf there. And uh, it is certainly not like Nazaria and some of the other places we were in that was moon dust and was sand and desolate. That was a very beautiful part of the world. Did you ever spend time in Baghdad? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did uh, 15 months in Baghdad. Um, so I was on Camp Justice. Okay. Which is where Saddam was hung. Yep. And this is a little sidebar. But directly outside the gate, there's a shrine. Uh, it's in the, if you bring it up on Google Earth, you can just look up Katamiya. And right outside the gate, there's a shrine. And so I was I was there in 2007 and eight. came back for a year, went back to the same camp, the, the next deployment. And both, both times I was there, I witnessed this. And like I, so as you're walking towards the gate at night, the shrine's right there. And I would see, at first I thought they were flares, but it was like a red ball. And they would slowly come down and go into the shrine area. And they would come back up and take off towards the left. I think that would be towards the south. And I I watched this many nights and nobody could tell me what they were. I got with our our guys with the big blimp in the eye in the sky to see if they were seeing anything. They couldn't see it on any of their cameras. Um, I got video of it somewhere. I I grabbed some of our locals, our interpreters. When I was seeing them, like, hey, I'm like, look at that. What is that? They're like, I don't know. I've never seen that before. I'm like, how am I here for my second deployment? And I'm seeing it again. And nobody else is seeing this. And like, I don't. I don't know if they were UFOs or what, but it was just interesting that these red lights would come down out of the sky into that shrine and then come back up and go off in the other direction. 
Yeah, that and kind of Mia, that that's one of the oldest towns uh, in Iraq, which um, I mean, it goes back a long, long time. I don't I, I, I how, do you know how old some of those shrines are? Do they go back to like the the seventh and eighth centuries? Um, possibly. I, I don't know. I never looked into it. Let me let, let me Google that shrine real quick. Yeah, it, it's amazing seeing those palaces. For, I'm sure you felt the same way when you saw because I think Saddam had what five palaces throughout the country, and, and to walk mm-hmm. in them and see the chairs, the tiles, and, and the time and effort uh, and uh, what it took to put in these places. They're just, uh, for lack of a better words, they were majestic. I mean, they, they were incredible things to look at. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of money put into some of those places. It's funny. I remember crossing the berm uh, from Kuwait and Iraq, and there was people literally living in mud huts with, with like, straw and mud together, and kids barely have any clothes on. And then you roll, and you see these uh, mosques and the, um, you know, his his, uh, palaces. It's just, oh, my goodness gracious. But like you said, these people... um, by the way, that mosque, the Academy of Mosque, I think is on uh, 33 degrees uh, latitude north. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't tell me anything up front right now on it, but it's, but yeah, it was really interesting because I used to, and I mean, just because you become a flat earther doesn't mean you still can't enjoy like sci-fi stuff. You just have, you just watch it for what it is yeah fiction. you watch it. it's entertainment tell my son because i i used to watch the uh ancient alien stuff all the time and i never i never really agreed with them i always was of the mindset of okay whatever whatever these things are to me they're demonic like uh, my buddy worked at retired this year he like he's all all into ufos and um interdimensional stuff and and he he knows I'm a a flat earther. And he's like, well, what do you what do you think about that as a Christian? I'm like, I'm like, I, I think there's stuff flying around. I just I just think it's demonic. I don't think it's anybody from another planet. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of it is demonic. And um, whether or not what what are your thoughts on Antarctica? And do you think there's a chance that? There's land uh, beyond the ice wall, or do you think there's maybe continents? You know that there's that huge expanse in the Pacific Ocean where maybe there is actually uh, another continent over there. Uh, I, for me, the jury's still out. I mean, I read the Iron Republic. Um, I thought it, thought that was interesting. Um, I just don't. I just don't see how. Our sun, which I mean, it's possible it could shine beyond the ice wall. Um, and there certainly could be could be uh, continents out. I mean, the I mean, if you look at the generally accepted flat Earth map, the Pacific Ocean is gigantic. Absolutely. I mean, there could be stuff out there that remains hidden from us. Um, when I tell people, I ask them, like, do you know how many miles Captain Cook logged circumnavigating Antarctica? And I tell them it was, what was it, like 60,000 miles? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, do you know what the circumference of the Earth is at the equator? I'm like, well, 25,000? I'm like, yeah. 
Like, so how did he log 60,000 miles trying to circumnavigate Antarctica? Yeah, that like should have been probably like 15,000. Yeah, that's a, that's a math problem that cannot be solved there. Another piece of evidence in your face. Um, what yeah, are you going to do? Doesn't, doesn't make sense. Not at all. I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've retired and uh, uh, you're doing your thing now, but how do you reflect upon your service? I mean, we all knew that, you know, we always joked we'd sing Cades about Uncle Sam and things of that nature. Uh, but now mm -hmm. knowing what you know and knowing what I know, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this question. Um, how do you go about your day? Um, what does patriotism mean to you? And um, where does Christianity, do you kind of see where I'm getting at? I'm, I'm really doing a yeah. terrible job asking this question. Like to me, I'm, yeah. I'm a patriot, but I don't trust my government. I'm uh, all about preserving this place for my children and grandchildren. But I don't think as much as I love this country, I do not think the people who are in charge have the best interest of my family um, in mind. So what do you think about that? So um, I think trying to remember how the quote goes, but it's something to the effect of um, questioning your government is the highest form of patriotism. Um, something to that effect, but and you know as well as I do, and at the end of the day, when we're over in Iraq and Afghanistan, wherever else we're fighting, we're we're fighting for the guy to our right and left. We're we're not really fighting for our government. But at the end of the day, that that's that's all you got is a guy to your left and right. If the government can leave you there, they probably will. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I've made, I, I've made peace with every, everything I've been through and done. And, uh, I think some of this stuff is harder for the older generation. Like my dad was in Vietnam and I, like I told my brother, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if dad knows that what happened at the Bay of Tonkin was a complete ruse. Because, I mean, those guys, if you told them that their entire purpose of being in Vietnam was based on a flat-out lie, and the guy that orchestrated the lie, his son is literally writing the music that you're listening to yeah. while you're over there getting shot at and killed. How insane is that? I mean, it's like, you you can't make that stuff up. Mm -mm. I say all the time, you could take this to a Hollywood director and they'd be like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> uh, Nobody believe that. Reality, you know, overlies the, the true or the, you know, fiction. And um, all of these stories we talk about, you know, not... You go back to uh, Desert Storm, the, the young lady from Kuwait saying how the children were being tossed out of... Uh, the incubators, that was all based on a false premise. And people say, well, you know, it worked out. Only 129 people died. But you know what? Uh, I challenge anybody to Google the 14th quartermaster out of uh, the state of Pennsylvania who was only in country for six days when they got hit by a scud and two-thirds of their unit um, were, were completely either dead or uh, maimed. And um, we were um, a mile away from where that happened. And uh, all of these things, there's always someone who gets hurt. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, I put it in my, 
I try to put it in my rear view mirror, but I still get very angry, you know, mostly because of the people um, who were harmed over there. And also for all the time that was taken away from me and my family. Um, you know, I, I'm thankful that my wife was strong enough to handle being away from each other for all that time, 51 months in Iraq and uh, six months uh, in the Baltic, um, nine months in Kuwait and all the, tra- you know how you got to go to JRTC and TC for 30 days yep. to, to get uh, the, the check off that you're good to go and the field training. Um, but at the end of the day, I, you know, you, I, and each and every one of us, and obviously, yeah, we, we fought for ourselves, our buddies on the left, on the right. We took care of our soldiers, made sure they got home. That was the most important thing, got home in one piece, even though it's really hard uh, to bring a soldier's home in the state of mind it was before they go over there, but we do our best to take care of them. That's one, I think, one thing that uh, people who've never been in the military don't understand is uh, what really taking care of your soldier means. And uh, the other thing I always found very intriguing about the military is you could meet a guy, you know, that's your battle buddy. You haven't known him for 30 seconds and you guys are dependent on each other. Uh, your lives are at stake. You know, you trusted each other. You, you shake hands and, and you're instant buddies. You don't, it, it's a completely different uh, animal than anything else in the world. And I think that's what was really special about it in my heart. The, the people and uh, the people I met during my 24 years. Yeah, my wife always um, always said the that it was hard to make friends with civilians. Like you go somewhere and you get stationed there, you know you're only going to be there for three years. And my wife always said it was like, "Hi, this is me. This is who I am. This is my dirty laundry. Do you want to be my friend or not? Because I'm only going to be here for three years. I don't have time to get to know you, but I need a friend now." And the military spouse was like, "That's that's how they do things." On the civilian side, it's like, oh, well, let me let me get to know you for a few years to decide if I'm really going to open up to you or not. And she's like, I don't have that kind of time. I need a friend now. And you know, it's funny. You can almost correlate that to people who are kind of, I guess we'll call it awake, right? One of the most mm-hmm. common emails I get is, you know, ever since I've been awake, I've kind of uh, veered away from a lot of my friends. They're not interested into my interests now, which is being awake and flat earth and things of that nature. And, um, I kind of find myself in the same, the same way. I mean, I still have friends, but, um, I'm passionate about these type of things. I mean, enough to the point I got a podcast, but, uh, it's my passion. And, uh, to me, as I've gotten older, the truth is, is everything. Uh, and it's, you know, more important than sports, movies, TV. And I know there's um, a time and a place for all that stuff. We all need distractions. Life is a B, as they say. Um, And it's important that you share time with your family, your friends, and you just can't be 24-7 down the rabbit hole. But at the same time, one thing when you take that red pill um, and you lose that common uh, interest with friends, and sometimes that can... Um, mean not having as many friends as you used to. Is that something that you've ran into at all? Um, not a whole lot. I mean, as as I've retired and gotten older, I mean, I'm still young. I'm only 42. No, I'm 40. What year? Yeah, I'm 42. Um, I I kind of enjoy just being a homebody now and doing doing my thing. And I've got got a few friends close um but i mean 
the part of the you were talking about being away from your your family and uh i don't know if you your experience was the same it's like i think it made our relationship with my wife stronger because we spent so much time away you're forced to 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 use i mean the times we were deployed it was a lot of writing letters in afghanistan and stuff but you're forced to write out your feelings and and connect emotionally instead of physically which really draws you closer together and makes you stronger um, was that your experience a, a thousand percent a, a thousand percent and i on any given day you know we'd go to the chow hall or we'd be back at the chew or and you'd find out that somebody's uh wife left them and they were just miserable and, you know, as bad as my heart bled for them and to see a guy who was, and listen, you, you have to be of sound mind to be downrange uh, because mm -hmm. it, it can cost you your life. You don't want to be driving down MSR Tampa or route Irish uh, <laughs> worried about what's going on. You have to be focused uh, because it can mean your life. And to see somebody going through that was number one, devastating to me. Uh, but it also made me extremely thankful to have uh, my wife by my side because I knew that she would be there. And that was something I didn't have to worry about. And I could focus on my mission. Um, we became, yeah, it did make us, our relationship stronger than ever. The only thing <laughs> was, you know, I was, um, a year on year off, year on year off, year on year off from Oh three to 12 and everything was a countdown. Like when you left, uh, it was, you had yes. a 365 calendar to get home. And then when you got home, you had a 365 calendar to leave again. Um, but you, you made every moment special. And that's what I remember. Uh, the trips to Disney or whatever we decided to do after we redeployed during that time off, uh, it was special. And, you know, there's something very special about the plane landing. You know, you get your bags and you go back and that reception with your family is just, there, there's no other feeling uh, that can describe the first time after not seeing uh, your loved one for 365 or in one case, 455 days. Um, it's just amazing. Yeah. Cause I was in, uh, when I was in Afghanistan, we got extended and I was, we we're already back at Bagram and they came and woke me up and said, go get your guys. Um, we got to go down and meet the chaplain at the, at the chapel. I'm like, what, what's going on? He's like, we've been extended. I'm like, ah, come on. You're joking with me. What is a C-17 waiting for us? Ready to go? <laughs> He's like, no, we've been extended. We're going back. And um, I remember my wife telling me how she found out. So my two older boys were in, my oldest son was a, a tiger cub in Cub Scouts. And they were visiting the news station in Watertown. And somebody had leaked out that, 10th mountain was being extended for another six months in Afghanistan. And they asked, are there any Fort drum families here? And she's like, yeah, we're from Fort drum and boom, put the camera on her, asked her, how do you feel about uh, the news that your husband's being extended to stay in Afghanistan? And, and she, she played it off like a pro good army wife told them that, you know, we, they tell you this up front that it could happen and you just have to be prepared for it. Um, Everything's going to be fine. And so when I talked to her, when I finally got to call her, 
like I was worried about her because she's been there with uh let's see that was two thousand so a six year old and a four year old you know for the last year and I went early so I was there extra long and she's worried about me and I'm worried I'm, but I was I'm like I'm gonna be fine I'm worried about you she's like I'm gonna be fine I'm worried about you <laughs> it's just you know not many not many wives could handle that. No, and we had guys it, back at Fort Drum already. They got turned around and sent back. I remember they did that to the third ID in uh, Iraq. They, they, they got those guys were the first one in, and you know things slowed down. And they, you're going home, and they they went down to the port, and of course uh, that's when the insurgency started. And they said, nope, you're not going home. We're bringing you back. I mean, imagine you know driving back down on Tampa into Kuwait, cleaning your equipment, getting ready to catch your ride home, and then. Being told, oh, by the way, nope, you're going back to Iraq. I mean, just th- those type of things. You've really got to be mentally strong, mentally tough, and expect the unexpected. And nothing is guaranteed when you're in the army. Um, you know, I miss it. I miss, well, I miss the camaraderie. I miss uh, the misery. Right, some of the things. You know, mm-hmm. the the burning of uh, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, living in austere environments, and things of that nature. You really appreciate. Uh, the niceties of the things you have back home when you're living on a cot or you're sleeping in a Humvee eating MREs uh, for a year. So it does make you appreciate uh, the little things a little more. Yeah. Um, have you have you listened to any of Crow 777 stuff? I have. Um, to be honest with you, that was one of the very first things um, – after I met David Weiss, that was one of the very first podcasts I ever listened to. It was David Weiss and Crow Triple Seven. It was like two hours long, and I don't listen to him enough, uh, just because I, I'm busy most of the time actually working on my stuff. I do need. He's he's awesome. Um, he's he Have does a tremendous shoot job. The moon video. Say that one more time. Have you watched his shoot the moon video? I think I watched it several years ago. Um, like the the lunar wave, I guess. Is what it is. Mm, Refresh my memory. So he, so he uses a a really nice, expensive telescope and then uh, puts his camera on it and videos the moon. And he's, I think, a couple of times he's caught it, and somebody else in Houston caught it. But from the bottom of the moon to the top, it looks like a a ripple goes up to the top of the moon, and it happens twice. And I thought. I mean, for me, in my viewpoint, I thought it was interesting, almost like it's water. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you zoom in on like Saturn or any of the stars, you know, what they show you on on the NASA website and what you see through that telescope, it does look like you're right that it is in water and it's kind of, um, like you said, uh, reverberating or whatever. I is yeah. I need to go find. Is that on his website or did he actually do a YouTube video on that? Um, you can find it on YouTube. It's also if you so I, I I just pay the whatever it is a couple dollars a month to subscribe to his website so I can get the full two hours on his podcast. But if you do that, you also get to watch the the whole movie in high definition for free. Oh, there yeah, okay. I'll put this in the show description as well. Uh, I got it copied and linked. I'll drop that in there. I'll drop all his videos so you all can check that out because he does a tremendous job. Oh, yeah. 
And the other thing I did that was uh, kind of solidified it for me was when I I saw the uh, I saw something somebody talking about the moon putting out a cold light, and I already had a infrared laser, so I decided I'd wait for a full moon and go out and do it myself. And I did it myself, and sure enough, the, the moonlight was three to four degrees colder than, than in the, the shadows. Shade of the moon, isn't that crazy? I was like, like, how in the heck does that work? <laughs> then to find out they've actually developed cold lasers. I'm like, oh, well, I guess it makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and the Bible says the sun gives off, or the moon gives off its own light. And that was another big one for me, because uh, I did go back and read Genesis about 50 times during that two weeks, uh, during my, we'll call it a transformation, um, from somebody who I thought was awake, because, you know, I, bro, I knew the Gulf of Tonkin was, that was a setup, you know, I thought I was wide awake. Um but, you know, you don't really realize that you're awake until, uh, again, the granddaddy of them all, Flat Earth. It's just, uh, it's something. It is absolutely something. Yeah, and then they tell us uh, all the science has been settled. And uh, recently I started uh, going to the Library of Congress's website and pulling up old newspapers. Because you can go search, like, what type of document and a year range and go back into the early 20th century, late 19th century. And, and clearly people were still debating this back then. You know, it's, it's funny that saying the science is settled. We heard that an awful lot the last few years, didn't we? We did trust the science. And, uh, that seems that there's a lot of regret. I don't like using the word vaccine regret. That sounds like I told you so. But, uh, to, I mean, to be honest, there's just a lot of people who feel like they've been duped. And uh, true science is never ending the question. You should never just say, that's it. You know, outside of two plus two is four and water is wet. You should always continue to challenge the narrative. That's science. Yeah, testable and repeatable. Absolutely. Keep repeating. So far, every time I get in an airplane and I take a picture, the horizon looks flat and I can see too far. And and the picture that you shared with us on the website today 100% proves that. And as exciting as it was to see Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens, I was blown away by the, the, the completely level flat horizon um, that nobody, and I mean nobody, can deny. And that should be an eye-opener for everyone. Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I've just written down for a, a side note. Um, did you have you ever watched the show uh, Alaska: The Last Frontier? The, I, the homesteaders down in Homer. I have not watched it. No, I have not. Um, so yeah, there's a the Kilcher family. Jewel Kilcher is actually the one of the daughters of the singer Jewel. But so it was. I want to say it was like the summer of 2020. We went down there to go tour the homestead and uh so when we learned the story so uh, if any of your listeners have ever watched the show they'll know who i'm talking about so i found this part really interesting in in hearing the story about how they got here so yule kilcher um originally homesteaded the homestead down in homer and in 1936 he had He'd gotten a bachelor's degree, I think it was in Switzerland, 
and he was studying the rise and fall of civilizations. And he noticed uh, a correlation between whenever, whenever societies grow so big and you have a lot of people living close together, eventually a collapse happens. And in 1936, he was seeing that starting to happen. And so him and some other, some other people decided to, to go to different parts of the world and try to find a place to start a new idealistic community. And Yule Kilcher ended up coming up to Homer, Alaska. He, he found the land, the, the area, and they went back to Switzerland for a short time to try to persuade other like-minded people to leave and emigrate to Alaska with them. And the lady who ended up becoming his wife, uh, she was a, a ballet dancer and uh, I think she sang opera too. Um, but when they were getting to, to leave was when Hitler started his invasions and her mother gave her all the life savings of the family they had in a coffee can and told her to go. And so when they both, when they got up here to Homer and everybody else was supposed to show up, they were the only two that managed to get out of Europe. And so then they, they decided to get married, you know, got their land, started homesteading. And the family has kind of lived that same homesteading lifestyle, you know, here, close to 100 years later. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting when I was hearing that story from his granddaughter, or no, it was his daughter, about how his theory that when societies get too many people in a small space, eventually everything collapses. And people need to move to places where they're less densely populated. And then, sure enough, Hitler kicks off World War II, or so we're told. Yeah, and that's very interesting because if you remember, uh, in 1936, uh, that time, uh, the the Great Depression was still very much fresh in their minds. That was just six or seven years after one of the worst financial collapses in our history. And then on top of that, to realize, you know, the cities and the, the situation, um, what, what a smart move to go somewhere where they know no matter how badly things can get, they'll be able to survive on fish, uh, on nature. Because, again, everything is out there for you to survive on. When you mm -hmm. live in a city, if your grocery store is out of food, then you're out of food. When you live in uh, the suburbs or a rural area where there's plenty of fishing and hunting, you're going to have a much better chance of survival and um, you normally see people much more healthy and happy. And, and this goes complete full circle to the very beginning of the podcast. As we mentioned, you know, our way, America's way of freedom versus the Bedouins that are living in the desert, raising their families. Um, they're not the same version of freedom or happiness. And it's awful um, uh, high and mighty of us to say, look, now you're going to get our version of freedom and you're going to like it. Yep, you're going to like it whether you like it or not. That's right. And um, there, there's something, and I know you're 
your homesteading, your stuff. By the way, I meant to ask you, uh, is either you or your wife from Alaska? Is there a reason why you guys, is that why you guys went back to Alaska after you retired? No, I was, I was stationed up here before, uh, they moved me to Florida. And so I retired out of Florida and this was where the kids still had the most connections. And, uh, the, uh, the typical pro and con chart of where we want to retire. This is where, I mean, the benefits here are for veterans are, are great. Most States you have to be a hundred percent to get like property tax exemptions. Alaska, you only have to be 50% or greater. So I don't pay any property tax except on my cabin that I rent out. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, you're thinking about coming to Alaska now, aren't you? Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, we had it bad in Texas. Um, you know, every state seems to have its catches like Delaware. There's no sales tax, but there's a uh, there, there's a high income tax, uh, state income tax. And of course, there's the property taxes, which are OK. They're not terrible compared to many other states. But I mean, the thing is what people don't realize is when they're working and have a regular paycheck and they're younger and they're doing well, they don't really consider property taxes. But when you get to a certain part of your life into your 60s or whatever, when you're on a, we'll call a fixed income, property taxes mean can mean a huge difference in your quality of life. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't, we don't pay property tax, so I'm not leasing my property from the government. Um, if your vehicle's seven years or older, you can put a permanent registration on it and never have to pay for registration again. Um, no income tax. Sales tax isn't done at the state level. It's done at the individual municipal level. Um, we can, it's going on right now, The our dip net season. So um, Alaska's big on subsistence, hunting and fishing and personal use. So Alaskan residents, I'm waiting to do it here. As soon as the salmon run gets a little bit stronger, go out to the river, to the ocean and stick a four foot net out in the water. And I can drag 60 salmon out of the river for my family and flay that up, put it in the freezer. And we got fresh fish all winter. Um, because under the state constitution, the natural resources all belong to the citizens of the state. So the oil companies, uh, what the state did was they set up a, a investment called the permanent fund, and it's it's up in the billions right now. And if it it only has like a little bit more to go, and it'll be able to fund all of state government solely off of the dividends of that. And then each Alaskan resident, man, woman, and child, doesn't matter how old you are, gets a check based on how well the permanent fund does. So as long as the permanent fund's making money, um, Alaska residents get a, a dividend check. Like last year, it was like $3,000 per person. So if you're a family of 10, that's $30,000 you get in October for letting the oil companies pump your oil out of the ground. Wow. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah, there's there certainly is. That's... Uh... Amazing. We we considered it. We've never been up there though. That's that's the one uh, outside of Alaska and the two Dakotas. They're, they're like the three states I've never never been to. Um, I need to get up there sometime and check it out because that makes a big difference. But uh, then again, you know, 
who knows what tomorrow brings and it's difficult with family here. But, mm -hmm. but those things are, again, very important, especially as you get older. The fact that there's no property tax and I'm I'm well over 50% myself, that would be huge. Um, that's interesting. That's something to think about for sure. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, it depends on what our kids do. I've only got one left in the house and he's only got three more years left. I mean, if our kids don't stay here, I might not stay here. I mean, it's all... It's all a give and take and yep. sacrifice. Absolutely. And if I want to be around my kids and have a yard full of my kids' kids, you know, I might have to pack up and move close to where they're at. Yeah, maybe I can talk them into moving up there. <laughs> when they hear about the checks, maybe that might uh, that might appease them. But I, I love to fish, man. I love to fish. I just walk up the street, hang a left. There's a little fishing hole down there. I could fish all day. I would love to fish up there. I would love to fish yeah. salmon. Uh, last couple of years, one of my friends has come up to fish. And last year, uh, he came up and we, same thing. I just drive five minutes down the road and I can go drop my line in the water. We drove down and we got out of the truck and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I left my, left my waders at home. He's like, okay, I'll just start fishing. So I literally drove five minutes back home, grabbed my waders, drove back. I walk up there. And he's got a rod snapped in half, and he's pulling in his sixth fish, so he's limited out already. Jeez. And he's like, well, I just bought this. I'm like, we'll just run it back to the store, which is another five minutes down the road. I'm like, I'll sit here and fish. So he takes a truck, drives down there, swaps the rod out, comes back, and I've got my limit, and we're going home. Is that per day, six? Yep, six per day. Wow. And I'm, I'm assuming that you probably get your fishing license for free being a veteran yes lifetime that's outstanding wow well i guess i'll be googling living in alaska now for the next uh couple of days to check that out watch some videos <laughs> i'm always i've done that rabbit hole yeah absolutely um we're, we're lucky to be where we're at but um we're also in one of those places where if things go sideways it may not be the greatest place to be even though we're we're in a more rural area um, but, uh, there's many people who say if things go sideways, the rural people will be the ones who get, uh, will be in the target because we're the, we have the food <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we literally, my wife has already pulled out 50 pounds of cucumbers. We have the chickens, eggs. Um, so yeah, like you said, there's pluses and minuses to everything. Uh, but of course at the top of the list is family and being able to see them because nothing can really replace that. Um, this, uh, this 90 minutes has, has just blown by. Is there anything that you had written down that we hadn't discussed yet? Um, I got some stuff, but I can, I can just run through Yeah, go ahead. You know, what the, what the top evidences were that, that really kind of did it for me. Okay. Um, NASA freely admits their space images or composites. NASA admits they lost the technology to go to the moon. NASA admits they can't figure out how to get past the Van Allen radiation belts, even though they said they did it in the 60s and 70s. Um, if you're new to the podcast um, and you haven't heard about the Challenger crew, go look into that one. That one will be raising some eyebrows. Um, gyroscopes, if you learn how those work and how they work in a plane, that'll tell you we're not on a ball. Um, we can clearly see too far. Um, if you haven't been to the top of Pikes Peak, go to Colorado, drive to the top of Pikes Peak, and 
on a clear day, look at how far you can see. No doubt. And or even if you don't want to do that, you could even climb Manitou Springs and, and Colorado Springs and check that out as well. Uh, you can see yep. forever there. Um, flight paths are another one. Um, look at the look at the sun rays when they poke through the clouds and you can see it. That also tells you the sun's not 93 million miles away. You know, that's that, that's one of the more underrated pieces of evidence, I'll tell you. Yeah, I use that one on my son. I'm like, like, look at how those rays are coming out like a triangle. I'm like, how's that? How how does that work if the sun's 93 million miles away? And he's like, it shouldn't. I'm like, you're right. Sounds close. Yeah, and you being in both Afghanistan and you've said you've been to Colorado as well, right? Mm-hmm. You understand the difference of being sunburnt at 5,000 feet versus, uh, you know, 500 feet, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In Afghanistan, we're running around the mountains at 10,000 feet, and that sun is so hot. Like, even even here in Alaska, even though I'm at sea level, um, just based on where the sun is up closer to us and its circuit around the tropic, like, it might, their temperature might only be 65 degrees, but that sun bakes makes you feel like you're in 80 degrees. Right. And if, if the sun were 93 million miles away, a couple thousand feet shouldn't make a difference, right? That shouldn't matter. <laughs> exactly. Um, stars don't change. I've got many video or many photos off my front porch in the wintertime when it's nice and clear and the big dipper is in the exact same spot off my front porch as it was the last year and the year before. Um, that's one I use for people. Like if we're hurling through an ever expanding space, why are our stars the same? Why have they never changed all throughout history? Um, Oh, Dave Weiss's sun fade out video. Have you seen that? Yes. Yes. It, it just, just, it doesn't go down. It disappears. Yeah. It just goes out and it just boop. It's off. That's a, that's a, that's a great one. Um, the other one, um, if you go and look at the, like the, all the NASA documents and other government documents that say a flat and non-rotating earth is assumed. Like I, I talked to my wife about that one and she's like, well, maybe it just makes the math easier. I'm like, oh, these are rocket scientists and they can't factor in the supposed known rotation and curvature of the earth. They're just going to like omit that out of simplicity. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. You can't pick and choose when you're going to use your equations and when you're going to use science or not either use it all the time or you're not. Yeah. I mean, I would think if you're shooting a rocket from, we'll say the Persian Gulf up to Missoula, you might want to know how fast the earth is rotating and how much curvature there is to be able to correctly calculate where you're going to hit that target. A thousand percent. The mortarmen and those guys, they don't take that into effect or into account, yeah. I should say. Yeah, those are just my my big, big, uh, big proofs that really solidified it. Yeah, the, the one I like to show people and the one that you mentioned is, is probably my most favorite go-to is I'll play that 10-second clip of that moron Don Pettit. We'd go back to the moon in a nanosecond if we had the technology. <laughs> when I show that to people, it's kind of like how you, you told them when you showed them that picture. They're like, huh. And then I think it challenges 
<laughs> their lifetime of programming and they it fries their brain and they just back away and leave uh, because that is very telling. There's no technology in our world that we've ever gone backwards in. Yeah, never. Never. Nope. And then I hear people say like, like, man, it's amazing that we went to the moon with more technology than we have on our cell phones. They're like, that's incredible. I'm like, because we didn't. <laughs> I think there was more technology in an Atari 2600. I, I think that's what they said. There was more technology in an Atari 2600 than that was what was in uh, the Apollo 11 computer system. Because yeah, one, one of the guys at work, he, like, he's, he's right there with moon landing was a hoax. And he's a Christian too, and he knows he knows I'm a flat earther. And he came in one day and he's like, All right, Dave. He's like, right here. He's like, it says that God looks down upon the circle of the earth. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, it does. He's like, It's a circle. I'm like, Yep. Yes, a circle. <laughs> Indeed. That is a different Hebrew word than is used elsewhere describing a sphere. It's literally talking about a circle, not a ball. That's right. And if you look at the Antarctic wall, it is a circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, big the difference between circle and sphere, 100%. The cognitive dissonance just never surprises me. <laughs> yep. Well, hopefully we can drop enough breadcrumbs and break that cognitive dissonance in enough people that we can demand a refund from NASA. <laughs> that'll never happen <laughs> that'd be a nice paycheck although yeah you're right of course it'll never it happen be. and modern day tower of babel is all those people are yep just a slush fund for all their other black projects oh a thousand percent of course yeah you can yeah, you know there's only so many people that can make a part for a space shuttle so they're able to charge as much as they want they can take that money and like you said fund their black ops yep indeed Indeed as well. It's been a, a tremendous 90 minutes uh, visiting you. I'm so glad that uh, you reached out. We've been chatting via email for quite some time. It's been nice to finally uh, sit down and have a conversation with you. Um, I'd like to revisit it again down the road. And um, I'd like to give you uh, this last uh, minute or two to, uh, you know, to close out however you would like to, sir. Sure. Um, I'd just like to to say up front um, that as a as a Christian, this this is by no means salvific in any manner. Um, whether you believe we're on a ball or in a snow globe Truman Show type thing doesn't doesn't have any bearing on one's salvation. Um, I think we all need to seem to make sure we we understand that. Um, but two, if if you're going to believe scripture for what it says and not what people are telling you, it says, um, and you're going to have some, some reading ahead of you. If you haven't already come to the understanding of how the Bible describes where we live. Um, and, and on that road, just go and look at some of the stuff we've talked about. Um, the, the truth will be right there, ready to slap you in the face and, show you that we've all been lied to for for many many years and uh this is in fact what what the ancient hebrews believed about where we lived and i'd venture to say probably first century christians 
believed about where we lived and many, many other ancient civilizations understood this is where we're at. And once you, once you understand where you're at, you can kind of figure out where you need to go from there. I couldn't agree more. And uh, many people think that uh, while we have advanced technologies that were way smarter than the people of yesteryear, um, I, I'm not sure if I believe that. Again, we are technologically advanced, uh, and with time we should be. Um, but I think there were people back in the day who knew a lot more than we do how the world worked and uh, the wonders, right? They, they could use things right out of the ground for medicines. You know, these days, they want you to take a medicine that doesn't fix the root of the cause. It just covers it, right? <laughs> it disguises uh, the, the the problem or, or the symptoms. So uh, I think that the folks before were uh, very smart. They knew how everything worked. And uh, hopefully we can be humble enough and our neighbors and friends will take the time to look and read the good book. And like you said, I want to echo that uh, you don't have to be a flat earther to attain eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. Um, however, I've gotten tons of emails from people where um, not only did Flat Earth bring people to God, uh, it also reinforced their faith when they realized, like you said at the very beginning of the podcast, you can look out the window and look up in the sky, and there he is looking down upon us. So uh, tremendous podcast from you today, sir. I want to thank you so much for your time and wish you all the best and your family um, in the future, my brother. Yep, likewise, you too, George. I appreciate it. And folks, don't forget to check out the website, theflatearthfiles.com. We have that picture, Mount St. Helens and uh, Mount Rainier in there for you to see. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. And uh, the website, if you'd like to join us like Dave did tonight, it is theflatearthfilesgmail.com. God bless each and every one of you. Keep your head on a swivel. And until the next time, we will see you.